we're going to finish the sermon series that we started last week. Matthew chapter 21, beginning with verse number 12. Matthew chapter 21, beginning with verse number 12. And Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, for you have made it a den of thieves. Then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. Look at verse number 14. The blind and the lame came, and he healed them. Uh, just for a few moments, we're going to finish the sermon series called Stop Having Church This Way. Everybody shout that out with me. Stop Having Church This Way. It's an interesting title, uh, but I think that it's a good pastoral message that I could share with you today. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity that we have to gather together. Open our ears and hearts that we would hear your word and we won't fail to praise you for it. And everyone shouted a great big amen. Remember last week, number one, uh, what, what, I, what I was hoping to do is to convey to you that there are certain things that I believe as a body of believers, as a church, that we need to stop doing. All right, We need to stop doing and we need to do it biblically. How many would agree with me that we need to have church the Bible way? I'll say that again. How many would agree with me we need to have church the Bible way? And so, uh, especially if you look at this generation that we are in, our society, there's many different ways to have church. There's many different avenues to have church with. There's many different methods and there's many different ideas. You can read one book after another book, and they will all tell you to do church differently. I'm telling you, I've read about half of them, and they all give you an idea of how to do church, all right? Uh, they'll, they'll tell you how to dress. They'll tell you how to do your music. They'll tell you how to do your sermon. They'll tell you how to pause. They'll tell you how to do your points in your sermon. I mean, get it. There's books about everything, and I've read about half of them, no joke. And some of those books are very good. Some of those books are very beneficial. And, and there's nothing wrong with that because I believe that it's good that we better ourselves, that we learn, and that we grow. But I said that to say this. If we're going to have church God's way, we've got to make sure we have it the Bible way. Can I hear an amen? The Bible has to be preeminence in our life. The Bible has to be the rule of authority. The Bible has to be the rule of faith and practice for our life. We've got to get back to the Bible. We don't need to give preeminence to our feelings or to our preferences. We need to give preeminence to the Word of God. It is number one. Is there any Bible-believing believers in the building this morning that you believe we need to get back to the Bible and put the Bible as number one in how we do church? The Bible must be number one in how we do church. It must be number one. And we must go to the Bible and, and look at what the Bible says. I said last week that uh, the Gallup Poll of America in America in 1999 did a survey and they said about 70% of the American population attends church at least once a week. At least once a week in 1999, uh, the American population attends church about once a week and they consider themselves church members. Well, the same Gallup poll did a survey in 2019, just recently, and they said about 50% of the American population attends church twice a month. So we are decreasing, we're certainly not increasing. If we're not intentional about moving forward, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to be unintentionally moving back. We'll be unintentionally degressing. 
if we're not intentionally moving forward, we're unintentionally moving back. And so you see that as a society, as a society in our church attendance, in our perception of church, our view of church, we are not progressing, we are actually degressing, we are moving back as a society. In 1999, people in America went to church at least once a week, at least once a week, and consider themselves church members. But in 2019, 50% of, uh, of the American population considered themselves church members, but they only attend once a week, or they only attend twice a month, and those services are usually 60 minutes. So we are not progressing, we are actually degressing as a society. Our view of church the way we look at church, the way we look at the Bible, we're actually degressing. And we've got to make a decision. Is this church going to be a hospital or is it going to be a hospice? As a hospital, as a hospital, we heal people. But as a hospice, we make people comfortable in their dying state. And as a church, as Christ's point, I believe that God is raising us up not only to be a beacon of His light and a beacon to this world, but as a hospital to those who are sick and without Christ. Can I hear an amen? We are not called to be a hospice that we just take care of people in their dying state. Ladies and gentlemen, the church of Jesus Christ has the remedy for the hearts of men and women. We have the solution for the world. We got the answer for the world. We got the answer, and the answer is found in Jesus Christ revealed in this book. And there's nothing for us to be ashamed about. We should shout it out from the rooftops that we got the answer to the world. We got the answer to humanity. We got the cure for the sickness of men's hearts. Can I hear an amen? We got the answer. And if we got the answer, I think that we need to proclaim it. You know, Jeremiah said in Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 10, it will be behind me. Jeremiah chapter number 6, verse number 10. I uh, quickly alluded to this last week, but I think that this scripture is so very vital. It actually speaks to where we are right now. Uh, in, in Jeremiah chapter number 6 and verse number 10, I want you to look at it. Jeremiah is speaking to his generation, and he makes this statement about his generation that he's living in. He said this, To whom shall I speak and give this warning? That they may hear. Indeed, their ear is uncircumcised, and they cannot give heed. Behold, the word of the Lord is a reproach to them, and they have no delight in it. You see, my friends, that's exactly what's happening. We live in a generation where people are not delighting in the word of God anymore. They're not delighting in the word of God anymore. They don't take delight. It's not preeminence in their life. It's not the rule of faith and practice in their life anymore. We as a society, not, as a, not only society, but as a church, we are degressing from church attendance. We're degressing from biblical authority. We're degressing from spiritual disciplines. We are degressing. We're not progressing. And as a church, we cannot follow that trend. We cannot go down the same pathway. We cannot go down the same road. We've got to be trendsetters. We've got to turn this boat around, church, and we've got to go the other direction. I said, we got to turn the boat around. we got to go the other direction. God is looking for a strong church, not a church that is in hospice, not a church that's barely making it, not a church that's on a respirator, a church that's just sickly and dying. He's looking for a strong church, a biblical church, a holy church, 
An army of believers that will stand up and hold the banner of Christianity in 2019 and say it comes hell or high water. Truth comes first. He comes first. He is priority. He, he becomes number one. Is there anybody in the building that can stand to your feet and say, Pastor, I still believe in biblical truth in 2019. I still believe in biblical truth. We, we, have, to be, we have to be trendsetters. I said we've got to be trendsetters. We've got to set the standard. We've got to set the trend. We've got to change it. You don't need to get lax on your church attendance. You need to increase your church attendance. Well, I know y'all ain't shouting with me there, but maybe I'll say it again. I said we don't need to decrease our church attendance. You need to increase your church attendance. You don't need to decrease your prayer life. You need to increase your prayer life. You don't need to decrease your tithe. You need to increase your tithe. You don't Come on, somebody. Because if you're not intentionally going forward, you are unintentionally going back. And sometimes you've got to get a hold of yourself. You've got to get a hold of yourself. Because if not, if we do not, we will spiritualize our selfishness. And isn't that what we do nowadays? We spiritualize our selfishness. We think that if God don't like it, or excuse me, we think if we don't like it, God don't like it. Well, I just don't understand why they're having church that way. I don't understand why the pastor's doing it that way. I don't understand why we're doing it that way. When we get mad and we leave the church and we assume if we don't like it, God don't like it. You see how we spiritualize our selfishness and we make church about ourselves and we always use cliche, God said, God told me, my season's up, God's moving me on, I don't feel like I'm fed, I don't feel like He's using me, He doesn't honor my gifts, and we spiritualize our selfishness when the church was never created to cater to you, the church was created for the world. It was never created to cater to our preferences. Church is boring. Well, church ain't about you. Worship is not about you. Worship would be boring if it's not about you. But worship is really exciting if you get the worship. Of course it might be boring. It's not to be entertaining. Worship is never about entertainment. Now, Stop having church. Jesus went into the temple and He said, listen, you're having church the wrong way. You, you have made it about you. And when we make church about us, we make it for profit. What can it benefit us? And so Jesus went into the temple and He overthrew the money changers. He overthrew the tables. He overthrew the thieves. He said, listen, my house is going to be a house of prayer but you've made it a den of thieves. In other words, Jesus is saying, listen, I have come to clean the church out and I have come to bring a new standard and this is the way that I want it. You've been doing it wrong all this time. You've made it about profit. You've made it about you. You've spiritualized your selfishness. You've made it about me, but I have come into this house and I have cleaned this house out and I have put a new standard. This house is my house and since it's my house, I'm going to tell you how I want it done and I want it to be a house of prayer. 
That's what I want this house to become. And you know what? If we're not careful, if we're not intentionally moving forward, we're unintentionally moving back. And what happens is that our houses become cluttered. Our church becomes cluttered. Your house becomes cluttered. And this house becomes cluttered. Because there's three different houses. This house, the house I live in, the house I live in with my family, and this house. And if we're not careful, those three houses will become cluttered for profit if you are not intentionally cleaning those houses out. Can I hear an amen? So the devil's after three houses. And you've got to intentionally inspect this house, my house I live in, and this house. And since I'm the pastor, I'm going to inspect this house, and I'm going to say, we've got to do it God's way. I said, we got to do it God's way. And since I live in this house, i got to tell this house, Josh, you got to do it God's way. I don't feel like praying, but I'm going to do it God's way. I don't feel like studying, I'm going to do it God's way. Do it God's way, this house. And so we've got to, we got to make a decision. we got to stop having church a certain way. Number one, I've said this last week. Number one, you cannot confuse ownership with stewardship. You can't do it. Can't confuse uh, stewardship with ownership. In other words, the church doesn't belong to you. The church is a gift. And whatever you do for the church is a gift. If you, if you clean the floor, that is a gift. Preaching is a gift. Um, it's, I am a steward of that gift. It's an opportunity that's been given to me. Teaching is a gift. Small groups, that's a gift. We don't own anything. And, how, and whatever you do with that opportunity determines the next opportunity that God gives you. So we need to look at church as a gift. This is a gift. It's an opportunity for me to bring my child to church. It's a gift. I don't own the church. I don't dictate to the church what to do. But it is a gift. It is a gift given by God to me so that I could grow in Christ. So I can grow in Christ. Number one, and I explained that to you last week. We don't need to get into that uh, 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 you know, it's all about growing in Jesus. Is that right? That's what the church is for. The church is to help me to grow like Jesus. How am I to grow like Jesus? I mean, Jesus was never married. How can I follow Jesus' example if Jesus was, wasn't married? Jesus was never 34 years old. How can I follow his example if I'm 34 or 35? Jesus never had a job like you had job. Jesus was a carpenter. I mean, how are we supposed to follow Jesus' example? You follow Jesus' virtues, His values, and you see it from His vantage point. In other words, you, you, you emulate His character. You follow after His priorities, and you see His perception. His perception. Somebody say that with me. I've got to follow His values. Come on, shout it out. Say, I've got to follow His values. I've got to follow His virtues. And I gotta follow his vantage points. I gotta see it the way that he sees it. Gandhi said, I like your Christ. I don't like your Christians because your Christians are not like your Christ. Isn't that interesting? Gandhi said, Well, I like Jesus. I just don't like, I just don't like your Christians because they're so unlike your Christ. We've got to follow his virtues, his values, and we've got to see 
from his vantage point. We've got to see it from his perception. Number two, remember what I said? Number two, we got to stop liking Jesus and start being like Jesus. Not just liking Jesus, but being like Jesus. Lots of people like Jesus, but they're not like Jesus. They're not like Jesus. They're not like Jesus. Number three, you've got to stop making external uh, judgments without addressing internal issues. The church is never called to correct the culture. We need to deal with our own issues, and then we need to create a community that looks like the body of Christ where people become thirsty and hungry to become a part of. We want to deal with the rappers in our society when we need to deal with our reverence. We want to deal with the politicians, but let's deal with our pastors first. Let's deal with our own issues before we point our finger to our society. All right? So number four, number four, we need to stop being arrogant and ignorant. And this is my, probably my favorite one. It's kind of funny, but it's true. We need to stop being arrogant and ignorant. You know, and what's really funny is us being arrogant about our ignorance. That's what's really dangerous is when we're arrogant about our ignorance. In other words, you will only grow to the level that you're willing to be taught. If you're not willing to be taught, then ladies and gentlemen, you're not going to progress. And if you're only willing to be taught by people you like, then all of you are going to have the same blind spots then. That is why it's important that we allow people to coach us and mentor us to the next level, that we don't become defensive when somebody brings out in the spirit of love and meekness something in our life that needs to change. We need to be willing to grow, and let's not be ignorant about it. Let's continue to grow. Let's continue to progress. Thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, with your soul and your mind. That is why I am stressing to you to come to church on Wednesday nights and grow. Get involved in the class. We're asking you to expand yourself, get involved. Every one of you should, if you're available, not sick and not working, you should make it a priority to better yourself and to learn. And Wednesday nights is a great opportunity to do that. And next Sunday night in our small groups, get involved, grow and learn. Don't think that you know it all because you're only willing to grow to the level that you're willing to be taught. Let somebody speak into your life. Let somebody Bring, be an inspiration. Let somebody be a hero in your life instead of a zero in your life. Amen. And I think that some of our convictions could be arrogance and some of our standards is pride and some of our doctrine is simply dogma. We need to go back to the Word of God and be teachable men and women of God. Number five, number five, we got to stop putting preferences over God's priorities. Remember, God's priority is discipleship, developing people into Jesus, Christ-likeness, that is God's priority. Our preferences, we can argue about all day. Let's not argue over our preferences. Let's stay true to the mission. True to the mission. True to the mission. What is the mission of Christ's point? To develop disciples who love God with all their head, heart, hands, and feet. That's the mission. Let's stay true to the mission. We may not like this style of music. We may not like this. We may not like that. But the mission is, is to develop people who love God with all their head, their heart, their hands, and their feet. And we always got to go back to the mission. That is why God has put us here in Galena, is not to stroke our preferences, but to follow after a mission so that we can be a missional people fulfilling the Great Commission because God is concerned about a global heart. Can I hear an amen? 
And number six, we said, stop being too sacred to say I'm sorry or too scared. Sometimes we just need to say I'm sorry, and sorry can really mend relationships. Sometimes we just need to swallow our pride and say I'm sorry. Listen, when you come to, the, when you come to Christ, listen to pastor. When, and this is revelation, okay? And you've heard it before. But when you come to Christ, it's not about being right. It's about righteousness. When you come to Christ, it's not about I'm right and you're wrong. We've let that down at the cross. You let the sword down. Quit trying to cut people's ears off, Peter. Quit it. Quit trying to defend stuff. Stop it. Let down your sword. Let down your rights. Once you come to Christ, it's not about being right. It's about righteousness. I don't have a right to be right. I want to be righteous. What is the righteous thing to do? Not what's the, you know, you know, I'm right and they better hear me out. Listen, there are sometimes people won't ever hear you out. And you've got to learn to move on with your life without closure. You've got to move on in your life without closure. You've got to learn to move on when things are not perfect. Even when you can't make everything right, you just got to do the righteous thing. Can I hear an Amen. Now, today, quickly, i got six other things. I'm going to go by quickly, all right? So if you, take, if you have a pen and paper, you can write them down. So these are the last six I want to go over today. These are things I believe that we need to stop in the church. Let's stop having church this way. Number one, are you ready for it? Everybody say, I'm ready. Stop confusing music with worship. Boy, I wish somebody just helped Pastor Josh out right there. I said, let's stop confusing music with worship. Can I say that again? Stop confusing music with worship. Now, I know throughout America, it's called morning worship. 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, it's called morning worship. And rightfully so, that's what we do on Sunday morning. We come to worship. But my friends, let me remind you that worship is so much more than you standing in here for 40 minutes singing off the overhead. Worship is so much more than words. Worship is so much more than lights. Worship is so much more than seats. Worship is so much more than the preacher. Worship is so much more than the building. Worship involves everything about your life because you are a walking message system. Worship is more than music. Yes, it involves worship, but it's more than music is more than just that. Worship is so much more than music. Now, let me ask you something. I know there's a worship debate in the world today. Should we sing this or should we do this? Should we do this? Should we do this? Should we turn down the lights? Should we get the fog machine out? Should the pastor wear skinny jeans? Should he spike his hair? Come on, somebody. I mean, you know, you know, and there's some pastors that will look cool and take their thing off and get a little tattoo and grow a little mustache. And, you know, we just want to be hip and we want to be relevant. And there's nothing wrong with that. If you can sport it, sport it. And by the way, these are not skinny jeans. So I'm just going to break it down to you. These are the only jeans I could get into. So these, this belt is like on the last one because they're just holding my jeans up. So is that all right? 
But since today is Sunday, my free day, there's going to be some chicken going down somewhere. And I hear an amen. And you know, and I'm not, listen, listen to pastor. If they, if they can sport it, wear the jeans. If you spike your hair, do it, dude. If you want to turn down the lights, I don't care. Do whatever you need to do. But let's just get something straight. That is not all there is to worship. Everything you do in your life is worship. How you talk to your spouse is considered worship. How you give on Sunday morning is worship. How you treat your children is worship. How you treat the waitress at the restaurant is considered worship. Because worship is a lifestyle of gratitude to God. And that is expressed by our actions, our attitudes, and our moods. So everything you do in life is worship. Now, music, how do I know that music is okay in church? Number one, this is what history has defined in Scripture. Number one, music, number one, any music in church should teach us the gospel. Can somebody help pastor out? Give me that bulletin. When I was growing up in the old church, Brother Engel, just give me a bulletin. We had the red back hymnals. How many remembers that? All right, five people. I said, how many remembers the red back hymnal? And, you know, when I got older, it, was, it actually turned green. And then it went to the messenger hymnal. How many remembers that? So we got it out, and I remember us, uh, my grandma would get up and sing, or my aunts, and, and they would say, <coughs> I think that's a C. <laughs> you, know, you know what I'm saying. <clears throat> Turn to page 33. I'm in the glory land way. Right? And so they start singing it. You know, you know, and they got into it. But this is what you've got to understand. Some of those hymns, were they're awesome. Nothing wrong with them. Those hymns, some of them told you the gospel. Some of those John Wesley or Charles Wesley hymns outstanding in telling you the gospel. Some of those hymns, there's twofold, some of those hymns told a personal story. I once was lost in sin, but Jesus took me in. A little light from heaven filled my soul. I, heart above and filled my just a little now let us have a, let us, He will hear our, He will. Okay, so that don't really tell us the gospel. That tells you of an experience of you coming to the altar and you confessing your sin and having a little talk with Jesus and that person gets born again. So we start singing those songs. And is there anything wrong with it? No. Nothing wrong with it. But some of those hymns are personal experiences. Right? What's another song that's a personal experience? It is well with my soul. It tells a story. Alright? 
You know the story of it is well with my soul. What's another one? I'm walking the garden with him. What's the, what's the song, uh, um, uh, I'm in the glory land way? It's one of my favorite ones. How does it start? Nobody knows how it starts. Chris, do you know how it starts? Oh, you guys are poor. You guys are poor. You guys are fired. What is it? How does it start? I'm in the way. That's a great way to start a song. I'm in the way. I'm in the way, the bright and shiny way. I'm in the glory land. Heaven is here and the way groweth. For I'm in the glory. Now, those songs are wonderful, but when you look at hymns, they either tell you the gospel or they tell you a personal story or a, an experience that happened which the gospel is in it. And sometimes people get happy when they start singing those songs because they remember when they were lost in sin and what God did for them. Can I hear an Amen. But what I want you to understand about the gospel, what I want you to understand about music, music was created to tell a story. It was created to tell us a story, the story of the gospel, number one. Number two, music was, was given to us by God so that we could connect with God. Can I hear an amen? So we can experience the love of God. Number one, it teaches us the gospel. Number two, it connects us with God. And number three, it fulfills God's command. In the book of Psalms, it tells us to sing to the Lord. In Psalm 26, Psalm 98, and Psalm 100, it tells us to sing to the Lord. So music is created to give us an avenue to worship God because it tells us the gospel, it connects us to the presence of God, and it fulfills God's command for us to sing. But there's more to worship than just singing. Worship is your lifestyle. Romans chapter 12, we are to honor God with our bodies. And when you honor God with your body, it becomes a sacrifice, and the sacrifice becomes a worship to God. Everything you do, comes worship. Number two, we got to stop confusing music with worship because music is a means by which a worshiper experiences or expresses thanksgiving to God. Music is a means to express worship. It's, there's, all, there's more to worship than just music. Number two, stop consuming. What do we need to do in the church? Number two, stop consuming and not contributing. Oh, this kind of hurts. We want to come to church and listen to a good sermon. We want to come to church and we want somebody to watch our babies. We want to come to church and let somebody teach our children in children's church. But, ladies and gentlemen, and I'm not pointing fingers. This is a general observation. I promise you, a general observation. There comes a time that we have to take responsibility that if we attend this church, then we need to contribute. We just don't need to contribute of our monetary means our tithe and our offering, but we need to contribute in service and in support. And I hear an amen. There's other ways to support than money, but we need to be contributor to God's kingdom and God's church. You can contribute your resources, your money. God wants you to put Him first in your finances. You say, well, pastor, how much? You know, 
It's not about the tenth any longer. It's about generosity. That's true. It's about proportionate giving. What would happen if all of us just gave? All of it. And not everybody's here today. This is a holiday weekend. What if everybody just gave? Everybody. If everybody, did, if everybody proportionally gave, if those who have much will give much. Those who have little gives little. Those who have a little bit more than just a little can give. Give proportionately, number one. Give sacrificially. Because it's a sacrifice anytime you give. Sometimes we've got to push our faith to give. Number three, give generously. What would happen if all of us just gave? Do you know what happened in the book of Exodus? Uh, Moses got up and said, listen, I'm going to take an offering so that we can build the tabernacle. And you know what happened in Exodus 33? Moses tells the people, stop! You're giving too much! I have too much! And do you know why that happened? Because everybody took, took ownership of the place, and they decided, listen, if I'm going to attend here, I'm going to give, and I'm going to support. Can I hear an amen? So, what would happen if all of us just gave? I just pray that if you're not giving to Christ's point, I pray that your heart would be moved to give. That you would be generous. That you realize, listen, after everything God has done for me, after everything that God has brought me through, after everything that God has brought me from, there is no way I can express love and appreciation and gratitude from my heart and from my hands. I've got to give Him something. I've got to give Him something. Let's not be consumers. Let's be giving. And not just with our tithe and not with our offerings, but what about our service? Let's serve. There's multiple areas that we need people to serve in. Let's not be pew sitters. Because if you sit in the pew too long, you will pew. You're not called to sit sour and soak. You're called to give. Contribute. Let's not come to church with a shopping cart. What the church can do for me. But let's get a shovel out and let's work together to build God's kingdom. Can I hear an amen? And you know why this is important? Because we live in a culture where people are all about themselves. You know, you know the church has adopted that philosophy. Get this. This is what we'll say in church. Jesus and me. Jesus and my relationship. Jesus and me. When yet we fail to read the New Testament, Jesus said, Our Father. It's not Jesus and me. It's Jesus and we. I'm going to say that again. It's not Jesus and me. It's Jesus and we. God has called you to serve in His church because the church is the solution to a sick and dying world. What would happen if all of us would serve in some capacity of this church? What would happen if we all gave to this church? What would happen if we all were positive and supporting this church? This church's potential would actually soar to unlimited heights if we all just got on board and done something. It's amazing what we would do. It's amazing. Let's stop consuming and let's start contributing. One of the ways you can do this is pray about our Thanksgiving offering in November the 3rd. Remember, I've asked you, on November the 3rd, we're taking a once a year over and beyond offering we did that last year. You've done great. And so I'm asking you this year, on November the 3rd, to give above and beyond 
what you normally give. You know why I believe you can do that? Because I believe that all of us can always do better. All of us can push. All of us can progress. I'm not asking you something I'm not doing. What would happen if all of us is proportionally gave and done something? Pray about it. Ask the Holy Spirit. He may ask you to stretch your faith and believe for the impossible. I'm praying about it. I'm asking the Holy Spirit, what do you want me to give on that day? Above and beyond what I normally give. And I believe that God will get the glory on that day. Amen? I'm almost done. Number three, let's stop avoiding conflict. Let's stop avoiding conflict. You know, sometimes the church wants to avoid conflict. But you see, we don't, I don't think that we're called to avoid it. I believe we're called to resolve it. We're called to manage it. You see, we'll never be able to do away with conflict. There's always going to be conflict among us. As body of believers, as friends, as brothers and sisters, we need to learn how to manage conflict. You see, did you know there was a study done a few years ago and the number one cause of conflict among relationships and in churches is miscommunication? Because communication is not what's being said. Communication is what's being understood. Sometimes we're talking a lot, but that doesn't mean we understand everybody. That doesn't mean we understand each other. Because communication is not what's being said. It's what's being understood. And if we're going to get along together as a body of believers, if we're going to get along together in our relationships, it's very important that we learn how to communicate with one another and we have to learn how to communicate not only verbally, but non-verbally with each other. And I hear an amen. Amen. Your number four. Let's move on. Well, let me say this. I don't have a lot of time. But conflict comes from a word which means, it's a Latin word which means to clash. Two parties clashing with one another. We have to learn how to manage that because there's going to be a lot of clashing going on and we've got to learn how to manage that. There's conflict between man and ourself. There's always going to be tension between ourself, the battle within us. There's always tension and conflict there. There's going to be always tension and conflict between man and man whether that's relationships or whatever it may be, but man to man, there's always going to be uh, conflict. There's going to be conflict between man and society. There's going to be conflict between man and nature. There's going to be conflict be between man and the machine. How many has ever been upset at the machine before? And there's going to be conflict between man and the supernatural. We're going to have to learn how to navigate through that. Number four, we've got to stop confusing feelings as truth. Now, this is such a big one, but it is such, so true, especially as, as I continue to pastor. It's amazing. It's so amazing to me. People will substitute truth for their feelings as if their feelings is true. Listen, your feelings are not always factual. Let me say this, and I think this is a good, good indicator. Can I say this? Let me say it loud and clear. So if you're taking notes and you want to write this down, this is a very, very good thing for you to remember about feelings. Feelings are gauges. They're not guides. A feeling is a gauge, not a guide. So we don't rely upon our feelings to guide us all the time because our feelings can be deceitful. Even the prophet Jeremiah said, he said, your heart is deceitful above all things. So sometimes you can't trust your heart. And I've heard people say this, well, you just got to follow peace. You got to follow peace. If you feel peaceful about it, then do it. Well, that's not true either. Because I've made hard decisions in my life 
that I didn't necessarily feel peaceful about, but I knew it was the right thing to do. I knew it was the right thing. I lost sleep over it. I didn't have peace about it. But I knew it was the right thing to do no matter how I felt. My feelings were not my guide. My feelings were a gauge, not a guide. Not everything you feel is right and not everything you think is correct. And just because you're offended doesn't mean you're right. Oh, come on, somebody. People say, I'm offended. And you you ever met somebody that's mad and offended? They automatically think they're right. Automatically. They think they're right. And it's hard to get a conversation in because they got a wall up because they're right and you're wrong. But remember what this preacher just told you? When you come to the cross, it's not about rightness, it's about righteousness. I become a slave to righteousness. Romans chapter 8. I become a slave to righteousness. I am not a slave to my feelings. I'm not a slave to how I feel. Now what is God? What is truth? Truth is Jesus Christ. The way of truth is expounded to us through Scripture. Through the written Logos Word. Gives us the moral code. Gives us principles and precepts. This should be your guiding force in your life. This is where we make our decisions from. How we treat one another. The major decisions of my life. I consult this. This comes number one. I look through the world through the eyes of the Bible. I look through the lens of the world through the lens of the Bible. When I see the problems of the world, I don't run to some kind of self-help guru. I run to the Scriptures. I look, this is the lens by which I interpret life. This is the lens by which I interpret morality and my origin and my destiny. This is the lens by which I interpret that. If you do not have the Bible as your lens, you will begin to interpret things incorrectly. You'll begin to interpret problems incorrectly if you don't go to the Scriptures as our source of authority. Number five, I'm almost done. Stop confusing. And I love this point. If we're going to have church the way God wants us to have church, we need to stop confusing a critical thinker for a critical person. In other words, I've been in this thing all my life, and if somebody is critically thinking, or let me say this, intellectually thinking over something, or bringing something to the forefront, do you know what happens? We want to label that person as judgmental. I want to read to you, I took some notes on my phone, I want to read to you the difference between a critical spirit or a critical person versus critical thinking. Number one, a critical person makes statements while somebody who is critically thinking will ask questions. Number two, 
a critical person wants to be right, but a critical thinking person wants to be understood. Number three, a critical person will devalue people, but a critical thinking person will address issues and actions. Number four, a critical person will demand quick submission, but critical thinking person will allow you time to think and a time to grow. Number five, critical people will fuss over personal offenses, while critical thinking people will be more concerned about the bigger picture and setting down discussing issues with you and not you as a person. And we can't, as a church, if we're going to go forward, we've got to understand that if somebody asks you a question and holds you accountable, that doesn't mean they're being judgmental. It means they could be a critical thinking, the critical thinker, and they could be more concerned about the issue at hand than personal offenses. Let's understand there's a difference between critical thinking and a critical person. I don't know about you, but I believe that God wants some more critical thinkers in the church. I'm going to say it again. I believe God wants some more critical thinkers in the church. He wants some more people to critically, intellectually, it's not about a degree. It's about thinking. And there are a lot of things that happens in life that we don't think about. We don't give much thought to. There's not much depth of thinking to it. Solomon was blessed with wisdom. And I believe that that's one of the things that the church lacks today is wisdom. What to do in situations. How can I apply the Word of God to my life? Number six in closing, let's stop confusing the anointing for approval. Just because somebody is anointed and they give you goosebumps don't mean they live right. Just because they give you goosebumps, just because they make you shout, don't mean they live right. The anointing is not a substitute for approval. Just because somebody is anointed, listen, I grew up in this thing. And I've seen some great, 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 great men, great men, who can preach, who can pray. I mean, I've been in services where their veins popped out of their neck and they're preaching. And you know, you're really getting into it when you take your jacket off and you throw your jacket and the people's standing to their feet and they're running around the building and falling on the floor. And I mean, it's power packed. And I've seen those same people have affairs on their wife. Same people steal money from the church, same people embezzle money, and, and then the whole church is like, boy, he, he was a great preacher. Boy, he was a great pastor. Because we cannot say that just because you're anointed, God approves of you. If God's got to use a donkey, He'll make sure His Word goes forth. The Word is anointed whether you're anointed or not. The Word has power whether you have it or not. Can I hear an amen? And you know what? Years ago, and, and I'm going to close with this, my first closing. I should add number seven. Preachers need to stop lying in their sermons. Did 
That's all right, I forgive you all. Stop confusing anointing for proof. Years ago, I remember I was praying. This was several years ago. And um, I'm telling you, if I could tell you what God has done in my life, you wouldn't believe it. If I could tell you. if I, 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 cause I can't because I'm on a time restricted schedule this morning. If I could tell you what the Holy Spirit has done in my life in prayer about two years ago, around September two years ago, I made a decision in my life that was revolutionary. That prayer was going to be number one in my life. And I'm not saying that to get brownie points from you. I'm saying that because it's true. From that day, I lost 81 pounds. My devotional life has gotten better. I've lost weight. I've, my thinking has changed. My perception of discipleship I've repented over things. I always wanted a big church, but the Lord said in prayer, I heard His voice. He says, Son, I've not called you for a big church. I've called you to the mission, and that's to develop disciples. You get the priority right and let the numbers take care of itself. I had a realignment. You see, I had a realignment. I had a realignment in prayer. I heard, I would hear the Spirit speak clearly to me at times. He, he would speak very clearly at times. And I struggled sometimes in the last couple of years to hear the Lord. And I made that alignment. And the Lord has done something in my life. I was praying, I don't know, six months ago. And I was telling the Lord, Lord, I, I don't understand. And I promise you, I heard the Lord say, Son, there is a deficit in you. I said, there's a deficit in me. Heard it very clear. He said, I heard this. I had to tell you because you wouldn't receive it from anyone else. I said, Lord, what do you mean by the deficit? He said, you want people's affirmation and approval and acceptance because there's a deficit in you. He said, but I have drawn you to a place of intimate prayer so that I could feel that deficit inside of you. So that no matter where I take you in ministry, you're going to be complete and whole whether they give it or whether they don't. Can I hear an amen? So I'm telling you, this realignment that I had in prayer was revolutionary in my life. And now, I feel like I grieve over things. I grieve over, I used to grieve over empty seats, but now I grieve over holiness. You see? I used to grieve that seats are not filled, but now I grieve that marriages are not prospering. I grieve that People are not repenting of their sin and altars are not full of holiness and righteous living and I grieve over apathy and complacency and lukewarmness. I'm telling you, it's more than feelings. It's more than music. It's more than preferences. It's about truth. It's about worship. 
It's about thinking right. It's about contributing. It's about a change. A transformation. A work of the Holy Spirit that will change your life. Mm. I was praying three nights ago, or last week, and I was crying to the Lord. I said, Lord, I was telling the Lord a few things. I said, I've prayed over these particular things for quite some time. I had a list of things I was praying over. I said, Lord, why is this not answered? Is it me? Am I praying wrong? Praying with wrong motives? What is it, Lord? Show it to me. I had went days praying this. Days and days praying the same thing. And it's really awesome. And I'm just telling you out of my own personal prayer life. I was sitting in the prayer room with my legs crossed. And I was just interceding and praying and asking the Lord why and I needed an answer. And the Lord speaks to me in different ways. But uh, as I was, I, that, that particular night I was, I felt the presence of God. I was crying so much that the pages on my Bible actually, it was, it was smeared. And I, I, when I noticed it, I picked up my Bible because I didn't want to run my, the pages on my Bible. You know, because it, you know, and I picked it up to remove it. When I picked it up to remove it, I heard the Holy Spirit say, look down, look down. So I opened my eyes up and right there, Psalm chapter 22 or something. It says, I say unto you, wait on the Lord. And again I say, wait on the Lord. For in your dry season, I say unto you, wait. I said, Lord, I thank you that even in the seasons of my life where I seem like you're not answering those dry seasons, you're telling me, wait and the reason you're telling me to wait is because you're doing something inside of me. What is happening in me is greater than what's happening to me. What's happening in me is greater than what's happening to me. And in those waiting periods, that's exactly what God does. He's molding you, making you, shaping you, and developing you into the people You've called to be. I want to tell you one thing. I, two years ago, the Holy Spirit, I was, I got up. It was three o'clock in the morning. I got up. I heard, I just felt this burden to pray. I get down, sit in Indian style, and I was praying. I was speaking in tongues and praying. It was about three in the morning, and I heard the Holy Spirit say to me, just out of the blue, I wasn't even praying for it. And the Lord said, if you will devote yourself to prayer, I'll take care of the church. I'll take care of it. And so I want to remind you that if we will pursue after God and run after Him with everything we got, He will take care of everything that we need, not only in this church, but also in your home and this home. Can I hear an amen?